I'm Aryeh Cohen, and this is Daf Shui, your weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf or so. Today is the 76th day of the Gaza War, as we record. So far, about 20,000 Gazans have been killed, most of them civilians. 7,000 or so, according to the Israeli army, are Hamas fighters in one way or another. More than 100 IDF soldiers have been killed since the beginning of hostilities. 129 hostages are still in Gaza, plus the 1,200 Israelis who were killed on October 7th. There's no use in asking how long can this go on, because it seems that it could go on forever. Let's just pray that it doesn't, that it ends. The only way to stop the violence is by stopping the violence. Stop the violence. Stop the war. Our prayers are with all the families. Israeli families, Palestinian families, hostage families, wounded families, families of the dead who themselves are wounded. May they all get the peace that they need and we all need. And now for a special request. If you enjoy this podcast and learn something from it, or are just distracted by it from doom scrolling for a bit, I want to ask you to help support the podcast. We are a pretty lean operation. We have a walk-in closet, a mic, a laptop, a Gemara, and a make-believe bait midrash of thousands. Some of you have been supporting Daf Shui for a while, and we really appreciate that. You can support Daf Shui Weekly Daf by going to our Patreon page at HTTPS www.patreon.com slash dafshui, which is also linked on the podcast page, and become card-carrying members of the Beit Midrash. Remember, we are not one of those corporate dafshui outfits. We're more of a rickety storefront shtibel dafshui outfit. Thank you so much. Who's daf? Our daf! Who's daf? Our daf! Who's daf? Our daf! So, I have to start with a correction. I want to thank everybody who wrote in to tell me I screwed up. Last time I mentioned that it was the 500th year of the first printing of the whole Talmud. All true. But for some reason, I said it was the Talmud printed in Sancino or some such thing. Anyway, it was the Bomberg Talmud, of course, printed in Venice. The Sancino family had done the layout which Bomberg followed with Rashi in one column and the Tosvot in the other column. Sorry about that, and thanks for the corrections. This week's daf starts on 116a, according to the layout made famous by the widow and brothers Rum, lo these 150 years ago, though, as we just said, first used more or less in the Bomberg printing 500 years ago. We start with a verse which is connected thematically to some of what we have been talking about on the previous daf, which is how to ensure that the line of inheritance is maintained. We said that when we investigate, using the play on the word la, meaning la investigate her line, we follow the line back up to the tribes, but not back to Jacob, because that would essentially cancel one tribe, since Jacob lived before his sons. The tribes lived. We start with a verse from Judges 21.17, which comes near the end of one of the catastrophic stories, if not the most catastrophic story, of the book of Judges. For they said, there must be a saving remnant for Benjamin, that a tribe may not be blotted out of Israel. This is the culmination of an internecine warfare between the rest of the tribes of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. The whole story started when a man from the tribe of Levi married a woman, well, not exactly married, he took her as a pelegish, a concubine, from Bethlehem in Judah. She left him and returned to her father's house. He went after her and seemingly convinced her to return to him and with him. On the way back, he ended up in a town called Giv'ah, 
in the lands of the tribe of Benjamin. Long story short, uh, this is something of a mirror to the Sodom story, he found lodging with a man, but the Gibeonites came to that man's house and demanded that the man be given to them so they may rape him. The man ultimately gave them his concubine, whom the townspeople raped and killed. The Levite, in his anger, took the concubine and cut her into twelve pieces, which he sent to each of the tribes of Israel. The tribes ultimately declared war on the tribe of Benjamin to avenge this awful act. The war didn't go well, and many thousands of Israelites were killed. Then they came up with a better plan, an ambush, and they killed most of the Benjaminites. The Israelites were then upset that a whole tribe was wiped out, and they resolved that they would kidnap virgin women from a town that had not thrown in with them in this civil war after killing all the men and non-virgin women, and then they would give these women to the escaped remnant of the men of Benjamin, and they would thus reproduce. Thus our verse, for they said there must be a saving remnant for Benjamin that a tribe may not be blotted out of Israel. Our Sugi does not discuss the whole sordid tale, just quoting the verse and then continuing. Amar Rav Yitzchak Debe Rabbi Ami Rabbi Yitzchak of the house of Rav Ami said, This teaches that they conditioned the tribe of Benjamin, lest the granddaughter through a son inherit with the brothers of the son. That is, if Reuven dies, his son Alfred is already dead, but Alfred has a daughter, Mitzi, and also a brother, Rogerio. The condition is that Mitzi would not inherit with Rogerio in the place of Alfred. Rather, Rogerio would inherit by himself. What Rabbi Yitzchak is saying is that in this case, where the tribe of Benjamin was almost wiped out, they made a special regulation that a woman, even if she was the daughter of a son of the deceased, would not inherit. The reason for this is that since only 600 Benjaminites were left, according to the story in Judges, each heir would have a right to a large piece of the estate of Benjamin. And if a woman inherited and then she went and married a man from another tribe, the inheritance would leave the tribe of Benjamin and belong to another tribe. This eventually could lead to the wiping out of the land of Benjamin entirely. This is how the Rashbam understands this Takana regulation on the women of the tribe of Benjamin. Rabbeinu Gershom, about a century before the Rashbam, says that this takana, this regulation, is necessary because the prohibition on the daughters of Tzlavchad, which we will learn much more about on the latter part of this stuff, to marry outside of their tribe was only applicable to the generation of the desert. However, if the women in the tribe of Benjamin, after the slaughter because of the concubine of Gibeah, wanted to marry someone from another tribe, they could. Therefore, they instituted this takana. On the other hand, if a woman voluntarily committed to only marrying someone from the tribe of Benjamin, she would have been able to inherit along with the sons, according to Rabbi Gershom. The Gemara starts another topic. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Niach Ben Alav Evra. Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai, Anyone who does not leave an heir, the Holy One of Blessing is filled with anger towards him. How do we know that? It says here, that is in Numbers 27.8, you shall pass on his estate. And the word for pass on is ha'avartem. We've talked about that a lot in the last few pages. And it says there, that is in Sephania 1.15, that day shall be a day of wrath. And the word for wrath is evra. So the Midrashic reading, which generates the saying, anyone who does not leave an heir, the Holy One of Blessing, is filled with anger towards him, is based on the juxtaposition of the words ha'avartem, from the word avar, meaning pass out, and the word evra, which shares the letters ayin vet resh, with ha'avara, but although a homophone, 
It is a totally different word. However, it is close enough for Midrash. Now that we are going down this road, the sugya, which is mainly made up of Palestinian Amoraim, continues with another Midrash based on the verse in Psalms 55.20. Asher ein chalifot lamo velo yaru Elohim. God who has reigned from the first, who will have no successor, hears and humbles those who have no fear of God. Sela. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Chad Amar, kol she'eno meniach ben, v'chad Amar, kol she'eno meniach talmid. Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, two Palestinian Amoraim, dispute what the phrase have no successor means. One says that it means a son, the other says it refers to one who does not leave a student. There is some scholarship, starting with Daniel Boyarin in the 90s, which highlights the fact that the central focus of the rabbis is reproducing rabbis, and an anxiety about not reproducing rabbis. Boyarin makes his case with a sugi in the beginning of the seventh chapter in Bava Metziah, in which a number of children of rabbis are called chametz bin yayin, or vinegar son of wine, that is, an unworthy son of a worthy father. The unworthiness stems from the son not rising to the father's level of learning. These are harsh stories, but once you start looking for them, they abound. And so too here. The rabbi who does not leave a student to take his place, or the father who does not leave a son to take his place, is not considered as one who fears God. The discussion continues as to whom, Rabbi Yochanan or Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, said which interpretation. Tistayem Rabbi Yochanan, Damar Talmid. Damar Rabbi Yochanan, Din Garmeid Asira Abir. Tistayem Rabbi Yochanan, Damar Talmid. The first attempt is to say that, Rabbi Yochan, that it was Rabbi Yochanan who said student. The reason for this is that Rabbi Yochanan carried around a tooth from his tenth child who had died. He could take out the tooth and show it to others who were grieving the loss of a child in order to comfort them with the fact that he too had, even, had a similar, even a greater loss. Thus, if not leaving a son was a sign of sinning, Rabbi Yochanan would not have shown off the signs of his sinning. Thus, he would not have said that one who did not leave a son was not God-fearing. There is something of a dispute about whether the uh, Garmei d'Asira beer is a bone fragment or a tooth. The reason for a tooth is not lexical as much as it is the fact that a bone would be impure and Rabbi Yochanan would be talking to people who might be pure to, you know, for they could eat trumot or masrot or other of the priestly gift. So therefore he wouldn't walk around with a bone. So that's why it would be a tooth which does not become impure versus a bone which does. And that's the reason that some people say it's bone. Some people say it's tooth. The obvious next move is to draw the conclusion that if Rabbi Yochanan is the one who interprets student, then Rabbi Shua ben Levi interprets son. This conclusion, however, is challenged from the fact that it is known that Rabbi Shua ben Levi would only go to a house of mourning for one who died without leaving a son. For it says, Do not weep for the dead, and do not lament for him. Weep rather for him who is leaving, for he shall never come back. Rabbi Shua ben Levi is apparently reading, Weep for him who is leaving and shall never come back, as one who does not leave a legacy, that is, does not have a son. As is supported by the next line, Rabbi Huda said that Rab said, This refers to one who leaves, that is, passes on without a male son. This being so, Rabbi Shua ben Levi also mourned with those who do not leave behind a son. Therefore, he must not have thought that this was guilt-worthy. Ella Rabbi Shua ben Levi, who da'amar talmid. So it was Rabbi Shua ben Levi who said that the anger of God is directed at one who does not leave a student. Umid Rabbi Shua ben Levi, who da'amar talmid, Rabbi Yochanan amar ben. And since it was Rabbi Shua ben Levi who said student, 
Rabbi Yochanan must have said son. Kashid Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yochanan. There is then a contradiction between the two statements of Rabbi Yochanan. The first one, in the name of his teacher, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, says that if one dies without leaving a son, God is angry at him. In the second statement, Rabbi Yochanan showed the tooth of his tenth son to those who grieved, therefore obviously not considering himself a sinner for not having any sons. La kasha, hadidei, hadirabei. The contradiction is resolved by the Stam, saying that in Rabbi Yochanan's first statement, he was merely passing along a tradition of his master, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and not his own teaching. The second teaching was his own, so no contradiction. Siman hadar ani v'chacham. We have seen these mnemonic devices a number of times in our Masechet, and they are in many Masechetot. The three words that are called siman, symbol or sign, words that indicate the three teachings that are taught in the name of Rapinchas ben Chama. The first word, hadad, is actually a name and appears in the verse, which is explicated on the next line, and so on. This week's podcast is brought to you by a special edition of This American Life, the show with the guarantee that what you are doing is meaningless and probably idiotic. This week, stories about breathing. We have three acts. Act one, oxygen. Are you sure you need that second hydrogen? Maybe my very Jewish Uncle Shimmy could trade it in for a new pair of Nikes. Act two. Growing up, Haley was always told that she had to breathe out and in. Now she's broke and never had a dance career she longed for. She confronts her mother and makes her sound stupid. Act three, originally on the moth, a story about something really, really terrible and tragic that happened. But don't worry, there's a life lesson. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Darash Rabbi Pinchas ben Chama. What is meant by that which is written, and Hadad heard in Egypt that David had lain with his fathers, and that Yoav, the chief of the army, had died. 1 Kings 11, 21. This verse appears in an important chapter in the Solomon story. Solomon was becoming more and more a man of the fleshly pleasures, and he married hundreds of women and took his concubines, hundreds more from around the world. He also was, according to the author of One Kings, swayed by these women to follow after the gods that the women worshipped. God told Solomon that because of all this womanizing and straying after idols and not being loyal to God like King David, God was going to strip the royalty from his house. However, not in his lifetime, out of deference to his father David, but from his children. And also, not from his whole house because of the merit of David. One tribe's land would remain with Solomon's children. Then, God also raised up an enemy to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. David had wiped out all the Edomite males, but Hadad had escaped to Egypt where he found favor with the Pharaoh. When Hadad heard that David had died, and along with him, his chief of the army, Yoav, he went back to his home. Rabbi Pinchas ben Hamas asks about this verse, why does it say Shchiva? laying down about David, and mita, death, about Yoav. That is what can be derived from the different verbs to denote death. David shehiniach ben nemrabo shchiva. Yoav shelohiniach ben nemrabo mita. Rabbi Pinchas answers that about David who left a son, the verb used is rested or laid to rest. While about Yoav who did not leave a son, the verse says died. This is probably assuming more of a finality in that without a male heir, the line comes to an end. 
ויואב לא הניח בן, והכתיב מבני יואב עובדיה בן יחיאל? And is it true that Yoav did not leave a son? Does it not say in Ezra 8-9 of the sons of Yoav was Ovadja, son of Yechiel? Ela David, sheiniach ben kamoto, nem rabo shchiva. Yoav, shelo eniach ben kamoto, nem rabo mita. Rather, in regards to David, who left a son who was like him, the verse uses the term laid to rest. About Yoav, who did not leave a son who was like him, the verse says death. This is somewhat ironic, since, as we said, the verse noting David's and Solomon's deaths is in the chapter where God excoriates Solomon specifically for not being like David his father. Derash Rabbi Pinchas ben Chama, Kashe aniyut bitoch beitoshel adam yoter mechamishim makot. Shneemar, chanoni chanoni atemre ai kiyad eloa nagabi. Moving to the second item in the siman, ani or poor person. Rabbi Pinchas ben Chama expounded, Poverty is harder in a person's household than 50 plagues, for it says in Job 19.21, Pity me, pity me, you are my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Rajbam explains that the drasha is from the usage of the phrase Yad Eloah, the hand of God. This is extrapolated from the verse in Exodus 8 that it was God's finger that caused all the plagues in Egypt. If God's finger then caused 10 plagues, God's hand was 50 plagues. Q-E-D. V'ka'amri le'chavrei, Further, we know that Job's verse is referring to poverty since further on in Job 36.21, Job's friends said to him, Beware, do not turn to mischief. Because of that, you have been tried by affliction. The word translated here by the JPS translation as affliction is oni, which is the same word for poverty. Most of the commentaries actually translate meoni in Job as poverty. Translating the second part of the verse as you have chosen these afflictions over poverty, or rather than poverty. The one exception is the Aramaic translation that Targum to Ketubimu translates only as sigufa, or afflictions. Darash Rabbi Pinchas Bar Chama. Kol sheyesh lo chole betoch beito, yeleich etzel chacham vivakesh alav rachamim. Shinamar, chamat melech malachei mavet veish chacham ich parena. Finally, Reb Pinchas ben Chama expounded, one who has a sick person in their house should go to a sage and he will pray for mercy for him. As it says in Proverbs 16:14. the king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man can appease it. So that is pretty straightforward. The Midrash is just transvaluing the king to God, that is, the illness is God's wrath, and a generic wise person to a sage. We move on to the next line in the Mishnah. This is the general principle concerning inheritance. The descendants of an heir who themselves have precedence take precedence in the place of the heir. The father has precedence over all his descendants. By Brahmi Barachama. אבי האב ואחי האב, כגון אברהם וישמעאל בנכסי עשיו, איזה מהן קודם? רמי ברחמה, a Babylonian Amora who was of the fourth generation of Babylonian Amoras, queried, the father of the father of the deceased, okay, the grandfather of the deceased, and the uncle of the deceased. For example, Abraham, in contention with Ishmael about the estate of Esau. Who takes precedence? The question was asked because both the grandfather and the uncle inherit by way of or by the power of the father. So on its face, it would seem that they are both equally the father. And therefore, it is unclear how to apply the Mishnah's principle that the father has precedence over all his descendants. Amar Tashma, ha'av kodem l'chol yotzei recho. 
Rava answers, come in here. The Mishnah teaches the father has precedence over all his descendants. That is, since the father has precedence, when Abraham's son Isaac dies, Abraham would be first in line to inherit. Since Isaac is dead, and the question is about who would inherit Isaac's son Esau, Abraham still retains that priority that he would have had if Isaac had not died. And then Isaac would have inherited Esau. Abraham still inherits Isaac. Only Isaac is dead, so Abraham directly inherits Esau ahead of Isaac's brother, Ishmael. The Stam inserts that Rami Barachama didn't know or remember this explicit Mishnah because he was so smart that he was actually thinking about a different question. That question is perhaps the question that's coming next. Another explanation is that he was Agav Chorpe, meaning he was reviewing his study and therefore he wasn't going into it as in depth, so he didn't catch this in the Mishnah. In any event, by Rami Barachama, Avi Ha'av Ve'achiv Kigon Avram Ve'yakov Menechse Esav, Ezemehem Kodem. Rami Barachama asks the uncle of the deceased and the brother of the deceased, for example, Abraham and Jacob competing over Esau's estate. Who has precedence? Amarava, Tashma, Ha'av Kodem Lechol Yotzei Again, Rava answers, citing the same Mishnah. Come in here. The Mishnah teaches the father has precedence over all his descendants. We would then think that Abraham would take precedence over Jacob, since Esau is Isaac's son, and Isaac is Abraham's son. So why is this a question for Rami Barachama? But Rami Barachama, Yotzei Recho Shalov, Velo Yotzei Recho Shalbano. Rami Barachama holds his immediate descendants, and not the descendants of his son. This also makes sense from what the first part of that Mishnah says. This is the general principle concerning inheritance. The descendants of an heir who themselves have precedence take precedence in the place of the heir. V'ilu ite li Yitzchak, Yitzchak kodem. If Isaac were alive, then Isaac would take precedence. However, since Isaac is dead, Jacob the brother takes precedence. This is what we learn. Shmamina is a kind of QED or mic drop or whatever is your favorite phrase for saying, that's all, folks. Okay, we're going to stop here and we'll start with the Mishnah next time. It's been a pleasure. I am Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter as long as that place doesn't burn totally to the ground. Bimhera Biyamenu. At Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. Thanks as always to my amazing producer, Eli Unger Sargon. Check out his podcast, Four Cubits. Thanks also, of course, to my chavruta, Charlotte van Robert, and to the communications team here at Dafshui, Shachar Cohen Hodis. Please contact me with corrections and comments at my email, which is the widow and the brothers Rome at gmail.com. Be well, be safe, hug your family or your friends or yourself. Have compassion. See you next time. <laughs>